South Oaks Church, I am so glad that you're here today. Uh, we are in our Feast of the Lord series, and uh, we're almost through. There's this week and next week. We're in the fall feasts now. We did the spring feasts earlier and talked about how Jesus had fulfilled those, and we're in the fall feasts. And today, we are going to look at the Day of Atonement. Uh, this is part of those 10 days of awe. If you haven't heard of this before, the, the way the Jewish calendar is with this is it starts with Rosh Hashanah, goes over and ends for several days, and then ends with Yom Hip, uh, HaKippurim, Yom HaKippurim. So those seven days in the middle are a gap, but it is a time of repentance, and the whole time, that whole holiday, high holiday season is the 10 days of awe, or the days of awe. Uh, so uh, when this happens in their calendar is the first 10 days of the month of Tishrei, but for us that's sometime end of uh, September, beginning of October. So Rosh Hashanah is that two-day festival, as you know, followed by seven days, and then on the 10th day is the Yom HaKippurim. Uh, Pastor Steve mentioned last week that Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, prophesies the rapture. And that's where those who believe in Jesus, those who have accepted him as their Lord and Savior, are caught up or taken out of the world to be with him. And then these next seven days in this 10-day period, the next seven days, so day you know, three through nine, uh, are a shadow of, they call it a shadow of, or a prophecy of the time of Jacob's trouble or birth pains, and we in the church call it the tribulation. So following those seven days, which represents the seven years, this is Yom HaKippurim, or Yom Kippur, which means the Day of Atonements. And the Jewish people have called these seven days uh, in there, in the middle, uh, the time of Jacob's trouble, and it's also described in Jeremiah 30, so Jeremiah 30, verses 5 through 7 says, These are the words the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. This is what the Lord says. Cries of fear are heard, terror, not peace. Ask and see, can a man bear children? Then why do I see every strong man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Every face turned deathly pale. Verse 7, how awful that day will be. No other will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob, but he will be saved out of it. And in the New King James, it says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he will be saved out of it. So as we look at that passage in Jeremiah, it tells us in verse 5 that there's this time of great fear and trembling. In verse 6, we see it's so agonizing that there's this picture of a man going through the pains of childbirth, the agony of childbirth. But in that agony, God says there's hope for Israel and Judah. This time that's called the time of Jacob's trouble, God says out of that they will be saved. And the book of Revelation talks further about this and it tells us that during this time, this time of the tribulation is when the Jewish people will turn to Jesus. They will realize that he is the uh, Messiah and they will turn to him. This day is so great, there is none like it, and this can only be the tribulation, this time unparalleled in history. And Jesus described this time of the tribulation with the same imagery that's used in Jeremiah. We see in Matthew 24, verse 6 through 8, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. 
Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. So remember, uh, the Jewish people are calling this a time of Jacob's trouble or birth pains. So the signs of the beginning of the tribulation are these ones that Jesus has just uh, talked about in these verses. Uh, uprisings, wars, earthquakes, famines. So a time like no other. And Paul also describes the tribulation as birth pains or labor pains. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3 says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord, that's another name, day of the Lord, that's another name for Yom Kippur. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, they will not escape. So the rabbinical teaching on this time, uh, the Jewish people don't call it the tribulation. They call it the time of Jacob's troubles. And this is the holy season of those days of Oz. It's also a time of repentance before the Lord. And it's said in this rabbinical teaching that there's um, those who are thoroughly righteous, there are those who are thoroughly wicked, and then those who are not yet decided. And it's the time for them to make the decision in those seven days is the time for repentance. The birth pains of the tribulation are described, as I mentioned earlier, are described in more detail in the book of Revelation. And that is not our focus today so much, but part of the purpose of the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, is to turn Israel back to the Lord. And this shows us that in this time of, of, of drawing people to him, even after the rapture, before Yom Kippur, this is a time of repentance to draw people to him. And it shows us that God is not willing that any should perish. Once the believers in Jesus Christ are raptured and taken out of the world, what remains are those who are thoroughly wicked and those who still need to make that decision and hopefully to choose to come and to repent and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. At the close of the seven days of birth pains, the days of atonements in Leviticus is Yom Kippur. And it's really Yom in the Hebrew, when you look in uh, the book of Leviticus, the Hebrew says Yom HaKippurim. And im at the end of a uh, Hebrew word is a plural. So it's not just saying the day of atonement, but the day of atonements. It's plural. Another word, another phrase for this day is the day of coverings. This is the shadow of or the prophecy of the second coming of the Lord, also known as the day of the Lord. It's the festival of Yom Kippur that we will focus on today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Leviticus 23. And we will look at the short part of describing it. Um, and just listen here in the brief description in the list of this festival. The Lord said to Moses, starting at verse 26, The tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves. And present a food offering to the Lord. Do not do any work on that day because it is the day of atonement. When atonement is made for you before the Lord your God, those who do not deny themselves on that day must be cut off from their people. I will destroy from among their people anyone who does work on that day. You shall do no work at all. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. 
It is a day of Sabbath rest for you, and you must deny yourself. From the evening of the ninth day of the month until the following evening, you are to observe your Sabbath. Okay, so what do we see here? This is a question for all of you, just so we can kind of get these facts here uh, before we move on. What do we see about the Day of Atonement in this passage? What are, we, what are they to do? No, do no work. Make an offering. No, no food. They're to hold a sacred assembly and, and fast. And they observe this day from the evening of the ninth day till the evening of the tenth day. As we've talked before, the Jewish day starts at the evening of the day before and goes to the, so for instance, Sabbath started for us, if we were going to do this, our Sabbath actually starts Saturday night and goes till Sunday uh, dinner time. So this is a short description of the feast for the details of how the priests were to actually conduct this time at the temple. Let's turn back to Leviticus 16 and we'll take a look there. Chapter 16, and let's read verses 2 through 14. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with the linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law, so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood, and with his finger, sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. So to, just to kind of recap here, the high priest took a bull that he bought and brought it to the temple along with uh, the, the Israel brought two identical male goats. And on this day, the priest didn't wear his normal robes. His normal robes were beautiful and had gold and stones on them. Instead, he wore this simple white linen tunic. 
And it tells us that he bathed and he, he would take a bath in 40 seas of water. So he really does this bath and it's for purification. And throughout the year, his vestments that he would wear uh, had these stones, this finest material, this gold. But when he would enter the Holy of Holies, that was not appropriate. God says, no, he must come in simple white linen garments. No bells on this tunic that were on his everyday robe. Not a touch of opulence or grandeur. And when you think about it, this is like Jesus Christ, who laid aside the glory of heaven when he came as a man and when he came to be our high priest, came to be our sacrifice. I'd like you to show a layout of the temple for us here. And this is uh, from Lloyd Thomas, Thomas Pages, just if we could give credit to them. So the high priest would provide the bull and uh, he would bring the bull, it tells us, between the porch and the altar. So right in here somewhere, he would sacrifice that bull. And that bull uh, would be turned to face the temple. The priest would face the temple. And this is not the normal place for the sacrifice because normally the sacrifices were offered in this area over here. They'd be slaughtered and they'd brought up on the altar here. So this is a different place between the porch and the altar. And the bull's head turned toward the temple. The priest turns for, toward the temple while this is going on. And this is because no one is to turn their back on God. They are to face God. And the high priest places his hands on that bull. He leans on it, which means it's carrying the weight of the sin of him, his household, and the priests. And he prays then and confesses the sins of himself and his household and prays over that bull and, and puts the sins on it. Then he slaughters the bull, and the bull, um, when it's slaughtered, it, he catches the blood of the bull in this bowl, and it's brought into the Holy of Holies. And um, the Holy of Holies, then if we could go ahead and switch to that, the Holy of Holies, this is the temple, when they were in the wilderness, this wasn't a permanent structure. It was called the Tent of Meeting, but it had the same layout. So what we have here is you see right here is the curtain. That's the veil that separates uh, the whole, most holy place from the rest of the temple there. And back here is the uh, altar, the, I mean the Ark of the Covenant. So just go ahead and leave that up while we talk here. So. He, he, he takes this blood that's caught in this bowl and he brings it into the Holy of Holies and sprinkles it on the front of the, it's to be sprinkled on the front of the atonement cover and it tells us seven times. So first what he does is he takes the censer of burning coals from the altar which is out in the courtyard there. Remember what we said between the porch and the altar? He takes burning coals from that altar and two handfuls of uh, incense. He brings it into the Holy of Holy. So he goes back behind this curtain into here, throws these handfuls of incense on it so it creates this cloud to conceal. God says it's to conceal the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. And why that is, is because that is said to be, God has told them, this is the place where I dwell. And he says, no man can see me, can see my glory. So it's to cover that. This bull, when he's slaughtering it, is a picture of Jesus. 
uh, his sacrifice for us. And he's also, Jesus is also our high priest. And his sacrifice was for his household. Just like Aaron prayed for you know, the sacrifice for his household, Jesus, this is for his household, the believers, the family of God. So the atonement cover of the Ark of the Covenant is above, some versions say above the testimony, but what other translations say above the tablets or above the terms of the covenant because inside of this Ark of the Covenant there were several things uh, and it described the terms of the covenant. It tells us that the priest was only to enter the Holy of Holies once a year and what was the Holy of Holies was this separate place of the temple where the glory of God dwelt. Now this ark represents the Messiah also, represents Jesus. So what was in the ark? Well, first we have the tablets. And this is like Jesus, the word made flesh. Two tablets, as in the two comings of Jesus. Then there's the staff of Aaron, which is this branch, a dead branch, an almond branch. It's dead, but it bloomed, it blossomed, it says. So it was resurrected, which is kind of like Jesus has come to life. He once was dead, but now he lives. And then the third thing that was in there was the jar of manna. And this is bread from heaven. Remember, as the Israelites traveled through the wilderness, the manna was bread from heaven. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So everything that's in this Ark of the Covenant, including the Ark itself, is like Jesus. Because on the top of the Ark, the dwelling place of God, between the two cherubim, which are the two angels that are facing each other, was said to be the entrance to the kingdom of God. Like uh, in the Garden of Eden with the two angels guarding the way into the garden. Jesus, these two angels guard the way. Jesus is the way to uh, those who want to enter into the kingdom of God. Those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, those are the people that enter in. And this is what Yom Kippur is all about. Uh, it's, the, it's all about saying who has made that decision to follow Jesus Christ through this time of tribulation. When the priest went into the Holy of Holies, just like out in the courtyard, he would never turn his back to the presence. And after he had, had sprinkled the blood there on the altar, he would back up to come out of the temple. I'm going to knock this open out. <laughs> so there's not enough room up here for me today. Anyway, he would back up to come out of the temple to be uh, back outside because you don't turn your back on God. And then uh, after he came out following this, he would go, if we could have that first slide back, please. Uh, he would go to the eastern gate, which is, which is this. As you see, north is this long side here, south is this side here, here's the eastern side. The eastern gate is this gate of Nicanor. So he, he would go there and he would draw lots, one from each hand. He would reach into this vase and pull out these lots, one for the Lord and one for Azazel. So let's read here. Um, go ahead and read uh, the next few verses. Verse 15 through 22. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. 
No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement for the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron had, has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. <clears throat> he shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for that task. And the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. Okay, so we see here that there are two male goats, identical goats without blemish, and he presents them before the Lord at the tent of meeting. And this tent of meeting, as I said, is then it's the temple later when they build the temple. And then it says that the priest draws these lots out, and they're two identical lots. He, he doesn't know when he reaches his hand in to get them which is which. He reaches in, pulls them out. One says, for the Lord, and the other says, for Azazel. And this is what you find out where it translates it in our NIV as scapegoat. When you look in the original Hebrew, it says, one goat for the Lord and one for Azazel. And uh, this shows as he's drawing them out, this is a matter of free choice. Uh, one in the right hand is put on the goat on the right. The one in the left hand is put on the goat on the left. And the rabbinical tradition uh, states that for most of the time, in the right hand was the one for the Lord, the lot that was the, said for the Lord. Until about 30 AD, it was Traditionally, that every time the priest would draw these out, he had no idea what he's drawing, but it came out that the right hand had the one for the Lord. And the goats then are marked, and uh, the one for Yahweh, the one for Azazel, and uh, it says something really specific here when it says it's one for Azazel. Azazel was the name of an evil spirit that inhabited the wilderness. So the second goat was sent then to the place of Azazel. Azazel inhabited the wilderness. He's a mysterious being. We don't know much about him. He's only mentioned in the scriptures here. But another name for Azazel is Belial. So in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 and 16, it talks about this. This is something that is in the Jewish writings, that, that it's another name for the same being. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? So Belial, when you look at the original meaning of that name, it means without yoke or without Torah, without law. So this is the lawless one. And in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, it says, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. And as we know, this is talking about that time of tribulation, that the man of lawlessness is revealed. The false Messiah is revealed in this time. Uh, there are other books 
that are written that while they are not part of the Bible, they are considered to be uh, God-inspired writings. And in the book of Enoch, which is one of those books, we learn that Azazel will be cast into the abyss on the day of judgment. Uh, Enoch 54 verses 1 through 6 says, And I looked and turned to another part of the earth and saw there a deep valley with burning fire. And they brought the kings and the mighty and began to cast them into this deep valley. And there mine eyes saw how they made these instruments, iron chains of immeasurable weight. And I asked the angel of peace who went with me, saying, For whom are these chains being prepared? And he said to me, These are being prepared for the hosts of Azazel, so that they may take them and cast them into the abyss of complete condemnation, and they shall cover their jaws with rough stones, as the Lord of the spirits commanded. And Michael and Gabriel and Raphael and Phanuel shall take hold of them on this great day and cast them on that day into the burning furnace that the Lord of Spirits may take vengeance on them for their unrighteousness and becoming subject to Satan and leading astray those who dwell on earth. So this is clearly at the close of the tribulation that this is talking about. Uh, who else does this remind us, Azazel remind us of then in scripture? Is the false messiah the Antichrist. And when we read about that in Revelation 19 at verse 17, it talks about this in scripture, this very thing in, in, our, uh, in Revelation. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all birds flying in midair, come gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and along with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. So what this is talking about is obviously Satan and the false messiah being thrown there into um, the, the lake of fire. And it goes on and talks about how the rest of them are thrown in there as well. Um, Leviticus 16, 8 through 10, which we read earlier, in the, um, which talks about Azazel and these goats in their Aramaic uh, Targum translation, which is the Aramaic translation of the scriptures. And so it says, And from the congregation of the sons of Israel, let him take two kids of goats without mixture for a sin offering, one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer the bullock of the sin offering, which has been purchased with his own money, and make atonement with words of confession for himself and the men of his house. So this is what we talked about, the bull being sacrificed. And he shall take the two goats and cause them to stand before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of ordinance. And Aaron shall put the goat upon the goats equal lots, one for the name of the Lord, one for Azazel. And he shall throw them into the vase and draw them out and put them on the goats. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which came up the name for the Lord and make him a sin offering. And the goat which came up the lot for Azazel he shall make stand alive before the Lord to expiate for the sins of the people of the house of Israel by sending him to die in a place rough and hard in the rocky desert, which is Beth Haduri. So there it tells us where they would normally send him. And these two goats that were chosen then, the one goat that was for the Lord would be turned toward the temple. And then 
The second ghost would go would be turned to face outward toward the world, toward the people. And the priest would tie a piece of red cloth on the horn of this goat for Azazel. And he would keep part of it on the post of the temple, part of that cloth, that red cloth. And then the goat for the Lord, as we just read, was slaughtered. And there's no confession of sin placed on this goat because this uh, has already been taken care of. It's not a typical sin offering. It's already been taken care of by the, um, you know, by the... Um, other bull uh, being sacrificed. So this is symbolic that Jesus has already taken our sins, so there's no need to confess sin over this goat. It's just given as an offering to the Lord. Okay, so then its blood also, it tells us, is brought into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled on the atonement cover. And it tells us in verse 17 that no one... When the priest goes in and he's ministering before the Lord, he goes in and comes out, goes in and comes out. Uh, no one is to be in the temple, no one's to be in that building until the priest sprinkles the blood and comes out. Nobody can be in there and nobody can touch him. This, doesn't this remind you of Jesus after he was risen from the dead in John 20, verse 15? Jesus is, uh, sees Mary and he says, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the garden, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. See, when the priest was sprinkling the blood of the sin offering, he couldn't be touched until he had sprinkled all of that on the atonement cover. And when Jesus died, he took the blood of the sacrifice of himself dying on the cross. He takes this sacrifice to the heavenly holy of holies. It tells us in the Bible that, that the temple and all of the things of the earthly temple are a representation of what is in heaven. So Jesus takes the blood of his sacrifice for us to heaven and sprinkles it on the ark of the testimony for us in heaven. And he could not be touched until he returned to be with his disciples, to meet with them. And the terms of the covenant, just like they are written in the uh, Holy of Holies, in the Ark of the Covenant, the terms of the covenant are written in there, just like that in heaven. The terms of our covenant with God through Jesus Christ are written for us there as well. So then the blood of the bull and the goat, it tells us, are combined, they're commingled, they're combined, and they're put on the horns of the altar. And the blood is sprinkled seven times on the altar out there in the, remember out in the courtyard? Uh, the blood is sprinkled seven times on that. And then the remaining blood is poured out at the base of the altar. The significance of this blood being mingled together is like Jesus and us, Jesus and believers who follow him combined together for eternity. So then what happens? Then the second goat, the goat for Azazel, is sent out and a confession is said over the goat for the entire house of Israel for its wickedness and rebellion. And it is sent out into the wilderness, a 12-mile journey. And this, one of these priests would take the goat and go on this journey for 12 miles. And every mile there would be a little 
uh, booth to stop. He could get water if he needed it. And he would take that go out, goat out and bring him eventually up to this high mountain. And he took some of the cloth that was tied on the horn, took some of the cloth and put it on one of the rocks and then pushed the goat off the cliff of that high mountain. And the goat would fall down into this deep ravine and it would you know, hit all the rocks on the way down. It would die, it would be broken apart. And when the goat died, the cloth would turn white. It symbolized that God had accepted these offerings and sacrifices. And it is said that this would happen, that the cloth would turn white at the temple as well. And the rabbis say that this took place regularly until about 30 A.D. So what happened in 30 A.D.? About 30 A.D. is when Jesus died, yes. He died and rose again for our sins. There is no longer the need for this sacrifice, no longer the need for this to be done for our sins. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Wool was white. So Yom Kippur depicts a judgment that's going to happen at the end of the age. These goats, these are not a picture of Jesus. They are a picture of those, one whose eyes are on the Lord and one whose eyes are on the world. They're two identical goats. So they represent an equal opportunity to choose between Jesus and choose between destruction. Jesus and destruction. At the end of the tribulation, there are those who have become righteous because they have turned to Jesus during that time. And then there are those who are wicked who have turned their backs on God. And sin is at the end of the tribulation. Sin is purged from the land. There is no middle ground, no neutral at this time. At Yom Kippur, the deciding time is over. A choice has been made by all humanity. In Matthew 24, 30, it tells us, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. They will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. When Jesus appears, it tells us he's coming on the clouds of the heaven. And the clouds of heaven, in Hebrews 12:1, it tells us there's a great cloud of witnesses. So these clouds of heaven may be those who have been raptured before coming with him. We know that that's what it says. The armies of heaven who are us coming with our Lord and Savior to the earth for the second coming. It's we who accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior who are along with him. And it tells us that those who have not made the decision to follow Christ will mourn. Matthew 25, 31 to 46 says, When the Son of Man comes in all his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. As nations will be gathered before him, he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. 
I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. This is just like the two goats, one being turned toward the Lord, one being turned toward the world. It's separating the sheep from the goats, separating those who have chosen to follow Jesus Christ from those who have not. It tells us that, you know, they're saying, well, when didn't we do that? When didn't we do all those good things? And he's saying, you know, if you didn't do it to, for me, in other words, if you have not made that decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all of these things, they didn't matter. They weren't for the Lord. So there's a day coming. Obviously, at the end of the age, the day of the Lord is coming. How can we be ready? So how to be ready on the day of the Lord? Well, first, we need to be sure that we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We must see that our salvation isn't in our own efforts. It's not something that we do, that we accomplish. It's a choice that we make to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior because he said, Jesus said, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life on the, the temple, those three gates, the one into the uh, courtyard, then the Nicanor gate, and then the gate into the, the temple. This, these were called the way, the truth. The life, what he's telling us is he is represented in all of that tabernacle. He is represented in, in how to know the Lord Jesus, how to know God through the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we come to know him? Through Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you Confess your faith and are saved. When we confess that Jesus Christ, we say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your death for me, for dying on that cross, for taking my sin on you, for dying for me, and raising from the dead so that I can walk in life. Thank you, Lord. I receive what you've done. Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. That's what this is talking about. Asking him to come into our hearts and lives to make us into the people he created us to be. So to be ready on the day of the Lord, make sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior and your Lord. And second, keep your eyes on the Lord. 
We can get so caught up in things going on around us. Uh, we can have our focus on that, our focus on the, the distress we're in, our focus on the, the problems in the world around us, our, our focus on the wrong things when our focus needs to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. To stay righteous, to stay on track, we need to have our eyes on him. We need to read the word, we need to spend time in prayer, and we need to ask him to fill us with the Holy Spirit. This is how we stay focused on Jesus Christ. Paul talked about it in Philippians 3. He said, not that I have already obtained all this or have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. The only way you can do that is by turning and putting your focus on the Lord. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, his goal was all about getting to be with the Lord Jesus Christ someday and know that he had done the things that God had called him to do. And that's what we need to do too. It doesn't mean we don't see what's going on around us. It means that that's not our focus. Our focus is on the Lord and his help and his protection and his empowering, his peace, his joy, his love, his patience, all that we need through Jesus Christ and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So make sure you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Keep your focus on the Lord. And then three, be willing to speak the truth of God's word. Someday people we know who may not have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ are going to face this time of determining eternity for them. They might be nice people. They might live good lives. They might say all the right stuff. But if they have not made the decision to follow Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, they're going to hear those words, depart from me into eternal punishment. How sad a thing if we could have told them and they could have known. You and I must be willing to speak the truth. We can't let our voices be silenced. Uh, obviously, we need to speak the truth in love. Because just speaking it out of uh, arrogance or condemnation, those are not effective words. And that's not how God intends for us to, to do it. We must simply and lovingly tell people the truth that if they have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, they will not go to heaven but to eternal punishment. Jesus is the only way. He said he is the way. And it's only by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Would you stand with me as we close? Today, you still have a choice. If you're here or if you're watching online, you still have a choice. You have an opportunity to make a decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you've not made that decision, just I ask everyone, just bow your heads. If you've not made that decision, or if you're not sure if you have, and you want to make sure today to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you just raise your hand? OK, 
Okay, thank you. Also, as we mentioned, it's easy to get distracted in life, to be looking at things around you, to be looking at circumstances, to be looking at you know, what our jobs are, or our belongings, or where we live, or social media, things that don't give us an anchor for our souls. If you've decided to follow Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might, and you say today, Lord, I want to have my eyes on you, in the middle of all of this, I want you to be the focus of my life. Just raise your hand. Thank you. Lord God, we thank you today for all that you have done for us. Lord, we thank you that this um, season of the Days of Awe, ending in Yom Kippur, Lord, all the symbolism that's in there of things to come, Lord, we want to be ready. We want to be ready for that day. Lord, we want to make sure that we have accepted you as Savior and Lord. Lord, we thank you for your death and resurrection, your sacrifice for us so we could have that relationship with God through you, Lord Jesus. We accept you as our Lord and Savior, not just a buddy, because that's not what your word says, but as our Lord. Lord, we want to do the things that you've asked us to do. We want to follow your commands and be faithful and obedient. And Lord, we want to keep our eyes on you, to, no matter what's going on around us, to keep our focus on you, to know, Lord, that you uh, are the answer. Even with all the, the answers the world has, it's not enough. What we need, Lord, is to have our focus on you and see how you would have us go through this. Lord, to see that you are our hope, that you are our joy, you are our peace. Lord, give us the strength. Holy Spirit, fill us from the top of our head to the soles of our feet with your power. And encourage and equip us, Lord, to do what we need to do to follow you. And Lord, I pray that we would not just keep that to ourselves, that we would not keep it as a thing that, um, boy, we're really happy for us. But Lord, that we would see our responsibility to gently and respectfully let others know about Jesus Christ. We just thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in our hearts this week and going forward. Father, that we would be examples to others around us of what it means to follow Jesus Christ in your name. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.